You're listening to the UI podcast by the Swedish Institute of International Affairs. Good afternoon. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, honorable state secretary, special guests from uh, Norway, from Germany, from Finland, from elsewhere, neighbors and a little bit further abroad, special guests, all of you who have come to uh, the Swedish Institute of International Affairs this afternoon for a session in collaboration with the uh, Norwegian Embassy, Ambassador uh, Christian Ulrichsuse. Thank you very much for this collaboration to discuss something that we believe is very topical. How can Germany and the Nordic countries deal with a shifting security landscape? Is there scope for more enhanced cooperation in foreign and security policy. The background is, of course, a challenging one. Globally, also in Europe, we are seeing challenges that we did not perhaps expect only as recently as a few years ago. Globally, we see uh, countries and move in directions that were perhaps not foreseen. I don't know about uh, President Xi in China, but he has surely moved to a stable leadership with his uh, decision to stay in power as long as he likes. But uh, among us uh, in the West, we see President Trump make a decision from one day another to challenge the global trading uh, space uh, triggering perhaps a trade war and threatening WTO, the bedrock of our economic order. Surely this is challenging. And within Europe, we have not seen the direction of stability to be taken after um, Brexit. It is becoming more and more of a real prospect. And we see other disintegrating forces hit us both within countries and elsewhere. And if that weren't enough, the drama of the murder of the journalists in Bratislava or the murders in London in Cold War style uh, should give us pause for thought. We need to recognize that we are living in a slightly different world. There is a paradigm shift whose words and description we do not quite yet know, but I think we know an enemy when we see it. We need to defend our democratic and liberal values in a way much more directly than we ever thought before. Oligarchs have uh, moved their power positions within countries, and we need, to, uh, uh, we need to have extraordinary leadership in this time to face it. We also need to recognize that it's not just economic injustice that have come with the past 25 years uh, researched, but we see a kind of logic of economic nationalism, even regional parochialism that uh, threatens uh, the order uh, by which we have also built our security cooperation, our economic strength. Further, we see uh, the field of migration where politicians do not know or do not wish to know the simple differences between a freedom of movement in a free labor market from asylum seekers to uh, the aspirational migration, which is forever. Unless you differentiate these three, you will get lost in these debates uh, uh, forever and be used by the other forces. 
And uh, if that weren't enough, the democratic discourse that we are facing is being threatened, not only through fake news, alternative facts, by, but by also the prospects of living in one's bubbles in social media and what artificial intelligence can bring in terms of uh, algorithms. So in a world of oligarchs and algorithms, where do we go? We need to understand the geopolitical challenges, the geoeconomic one, the institutions that we need to safeguard, to protect our values and the democratic culture that is ours. We are here to discuss this with uh, an extraordinary array of guests that we have. Uh, primary among them is Audun Halvorsen, State Secretary in the Norwegian Ministry for Foreign Affairs. He's here in Stockholm to meet, as he does regularly, the Nordic counterparts, also the Nordic-Baltic counterparts. Uh, and that kind of collaboration is more important than we think. But we know that we need to work with friends. And that's why the topic of today is Germany and the Nordics. Where will the new Germany, a new German uh, government go? What are the prospects of supporting the European Union and the many other institutions that are part of our everyday uh, life? Um, uh, I will invite you now, uh, State Secretary Halvorsen, to speak to us in a keynote uh, speech to introduce uh, this afternoon, this open session, and we have closed sessions after that uh, with a, a group of participants. Mr. Halvorsen, you are now State Secretary in the Foreign Affairs Ministry, but you have before been in the Defense Ministry and have a long background in Parliament. And it's a great pleasure to have you here. Please welcome and speak to us. Mr. Halvorsen. Director Carlson, uh, excellencies, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure for me to speak at the opening of this seminar on closer Nordic-German cooperation. Uh, I would like to start by congratulating our German friends on the new government. I think that is an important development, not only for Germany, but for the whole of Europe. And we are eager to see uh, that government uh, pick up the mantle and keep going forward. I think the scope of our cooperation is broad. It runs deep. And a number of themes will obviously be explored during this day. I will focus mostly on defense and hard security. That is because the security landscape of Northern Europe has obviously undergone considerable shifts over the last few years. A development that seems bound to continue as we face a brave new world of Russian assertiveness, geopolitical balancing, Brexit, an EU at 27 uh, reforming to cope with the fallout of that Brexit, and an Atlantic alliance uh, adapting to a new normal, so to say, which seems to have more in common with the old normal of the Cold War than with the uh, 25 years that has, have gone between. It is, however, a world infinitely more complex. We see a strong international interest in the Nordic region, in our economic and social models, in our businesses and know-how, in the strategic importance of our region and its implications for transatlantic security. In addition, Germany's role and influence is probably more significant than at any other point in the post-war period. 
Berlin is a European center of gravity where world leaders travel to discuss the challenges and opportunities of our time. Germany plays a leading role in a number of areas, economical, political, technological, environmental. German leadership in these areas is strong and it is needed. Germany and the Nordic countries are natural partners. We share geography, history, cultural heritage and values. Our core interests are, in most, uh, is, are most often similar. We are strong liberal democracies, all ranking at the very top of global, <coughs> uh, at the top of the global rankings when it comes to economic and social development. We are global frontrunners in education, innovation, sustainable energy, digitalization and technology. And in the political domain, we enjoy <coughs> close cooperation and trust built upon decades and even centuries of trade and peaceful coexistence. When it comes to foreign and security policy, the picture is structurally less unified, but regardless of our alliances and security affiliations, we are part of the same Western community of values and interests, of NATO and or the EU, as well as strong regional groupings. For instance, is NORDEFCO, the formalized Nordic defense cooperation structure, now almost a decade old in its current form? This structure now provides a framework for an unprecedented security policy dialogue among its members. Within NATO, Germany is spearheading the framework nation concept, meant to increase innovation and capability development among groups of members. In the EU, PESCO aims to do much of the same. Germany and the Nordic countries cooperate closely and increasingly within all of these frameworks. The EFP in the Baltics and Poland is another example where Norway uh, is uh, participating in the German-led German -led battalion in Lithuania. If you consider a broader perspective, the current Swedish membership has given a strong voice to our joint values and interests in the UN Security Council. And the German invitation to Norway to take part in the G20 last year showed how our partnership is evolving. Therefore, I would argue that also in the area of security, our partnership is stronger than ever. Two current developments in the European, on the European scene confer special importance to such cooperation in our time. Firstly, as a result of Russia's aggression, great power ambitions and increasing military capabilities, we have seen the Baltic Sea re-emerge as a region of significant strategic importance. All of us would be severely affected by any crisis in the Baltic. In addition, such a crisis would have spillover effects to other areas. It is vital to acknowledge the link between the Baltic Sea region and the High North as we consider regional security. Tensions in one region would obviously influence developments in the other. And all crises or conflict in our region would in essence surround us. Secondly, we see the emergence of a more diverse Europe. In several European countries, fundamental values are under pressure causing growing concern of fragmentation and weakening the European consensus. These developments are a result both of domestic political dynamics as well as external forces. And potentially, this could also weaken our decision-making mechanisms, our cohesion and resilience to outside influence and threats. Both in dealing with challenges in the Baltics and in preserving European security, arch security architecture, the values that underpin it we would benefit from even closer cooperation between Germany and the Nordic countries. This could help mitigate some of these developments and strengthen our common security. We must continue to develop security cooperation in the Baltic Sea. No crisis in the region can be effectively tackled without strong bonds between our countries. 
Hence, Germany, Norway, Denmark, and Iceland should continue to work with Sweden and Finland to get the most out of their enhanced opportunities partner status in NATO. Likewise, Norway needs the support of Germany, Sweden, Denmark, and Finland to be able to cooperate more closely with the EU in, area, in the area of security and defense, especially when it comes to the new initiatives. And together, we should work to make the relationship between NATO and the EU as strong as possible. <coughs> Norway welcomes the EU's efforts on security and defense, which have great potential for improving European security. They should also be used to further strengthen the European pillar within NATO and help contribute to better burden sharing. Norway is an integral part of the European defense equipment market, an active partner in European armaments cooperation, and a large customer for European defense industry. We want to play an active role in the European Defense Fund, including the European Defense Industry and Development Program, EDIP. However, in this area, we are somewhat concerned over the EU's restrictive possession, position on third-party part, participation and wish to maintain a close dialogue with our German and Nordic friends on how we can address this. Moreover, through increased Nordic-German cooperation, we see the potential of contributing to securing a safe, democratic, and economically strong Europe, through preserving and strengthening the transatlantic bond, and taking concrete action to maintain and strengthen multilateral institutions and a world order based on international law. These are not easy tasks in times of increased nationalism and great power competition. However, I see the same determination in both Germany and the Nordic countries to safeguard these interests and values. For Norway as a North Atlantic nation, the sea lines across the Atlantic are vital. Developments here also have huge implications for Europe as a whole and for the security of all our countries. Norway is taking concrete measures to protect the security of the maritime domain in the North Atlantic, both multilaterally and in regional and bilateral formats. Investments in high-end capabilities relevant for maintaining security in this area are key in our new defense plan. And the value of the North Atlantic is one of our main priorities in NATO. Political unity, strong situational awareness, and shared analysis with our Nordic and German friends are important elements in this. And let me uh, mention one concrete example, though I know it still is a somewhat sensitive issue. And that is German-Norwegian strategic partnership on our future submarine program. In fact, Germany and Norway will not only procure identical submarines, but also enter into a full life partnership uh, involving research and development, industry and procurement, updates and maintenance, education, doctrine, training, exercises, and logistics. This opens up a huge potential for a comprehensive strategic co cooperation in the whole naval domain, providing us with significant synergies and savings. Norway's maritime cooperation with Germany is a true strategic partnership, setting a new standard in Europe on defense cooperation and we will definitely define Norway's relationship with Germany in the decades ahead. Our cooperation could also serve as a model on how defense cooperation in Europe could be further developed to benefit both NATO and the EU bilaterally and in larger groups. And it illustrates the important point that smaller nations can and should join bigger nations in mutually beneficial cooperation. If Europe is to succeed in taking more responsibility for our own security, we, need all, we all need to intensify our cooperation efforts, and Norway will uh, use every opportunity to that end. However, the Baltic Sea, the Atlantic, and the High North are not only areas of military strategic interest. They are also areas of great economic prospects and environmental challenges. 
The sustainable development of the oceans is a key priority for Norway and an area where we can further develop our cooperation as a group. Norway is spearheading several larger global initiatives on maritime issues, such as Prime Minister Solberg's new high-level plan. So, dear friends, I look forward to today's discussions and hope that this seminar, this excellent initiative by our hosts, may be followed up on a more regular basis. So thank you for your attention and best of luck for the rest of the day. Thank you very much, uh, State Secretary. You both spoke about the pragmatic knowledge that we already have of how to work together, but also about the extraordinary pace of change that is happening. And while you may not know it yet, the State Secretary of State of the United States, Tillerson, has just been fired and replaced by CIA Director Pompeo. That's how the world goes. Uh, reflect on that, if you will. Uh, that provides another small little backdrop, and let me welcome Constanze Stelzenmüller, please, to the podium, uh, together with the Professor Matthias Job, uh, to uh, the podium. Constanze uh, is a very frequent guest here in Stockholm. We're extremely proud to have you back. And uh, as the State Secretary said, you know, there's continuation in this ahead, and I hope that we, our networks will just grow stronger. You are now in Washington as the Robert Bosch Senior Fellow at the Center on the United States and Europe at the Brookings Institution. Very much welcome. We also have uh, Professor Dr. Matthias Job, who is Director of the Institute for Europäische Politik, the Institute of European Policy in Berlin. Very much uh, welcome. You too have a history of working uh, with us on Nordic-Baltic uh, security uh, cooperation in the broadest sense. Very much welcome. I am asking you, Constanze, perhaps to go first mm -hmm. on a reflection on, on where we stand. Thank you. All right. Well, first, thank you for this really warm welcome. It, it is a immense pleasure to be here, despite the weather. I like love Stockholm in any weather. Um, and since, as some of you know, but I am never, never get tired of bragging, I am a life member of the Swedish Royal Academy for War Sciences, although it is more fun to say that in Germany because it scares people more. Um, <laughs> But I, I do like bragging about it, and so thank you again. That makes me basically Swedish, although I have to warn you, I don't speak a word of Swedish. I was expecting, of course, Jan to be here and to take on the German part of this, and I was expecting to focus mostly on the American bit, but I'll try to do both in the sort of, you've said 15 minutes, you want me, then you, okay, all right. I will try to cover all that. I will try to be frank, hopefully not rude, since we're among friends. Um, just, uh, let me just uh, say, Jan Techau, who should have been with yes, us, he had, uh, yes. he unfortunately could not come yes, because of exactly. a family issue. Yeah. Um, also, I have to say, I, for the first time, I've been here many times, but the first time I've been struck that this arrangement is kind of Nordic, because it's all these little islands. We're <laughs> <laughs> so, so each of us is on, we have our own little island. piece of territory that we can defend. Uh, rather than a bench or chairs or something. I, I wonder whether there's something in there, but we might consider that in discussion. But anyway, let me, I was going to talk about, um, perhaps say a little bit about how I perceive the Nordics and things that, the elements that we have in common with them as Germans and Europeans, 
and then talk a little bit more about the security landscape and how I see that changing and um, what that means for, for you and for us in Germany and indeed us Europeans. Now, I think one of the things that, and here I'm sort of going slightly over the same ground as you, State Secretary, uh, that we, we, we do indeed as Germans have a great deal um, in common with you. The strong commitment to the United Nations and international law. Um, that's in our DNA. The strong ties to the United States and to NATO, and that's true even for the Finns and the Swedes, who I think are more active in NATO than most other NATO members, um, despite not being members, which strikes me as a somewhat odd arrangement, but if it works for them, it certainly works for NATO. Um, you are committed to, to Europe and to the EU, but I have always thought you were a little wary of CSDP. Um, I was interested to hear you speak so positively of that. Maybe we can sort of go into more of the details of that and just how keen you're on it. I would quite like to know that. Um, I think you're also wary of deeper integration, at least of the kind that, you know, is too, too super-federalist, um, fiscally hawkish, and, of course, very principled free traders. And that is something that uh, we share with you. In fact, one of the nice things about going to conferences uh, in Northern Europe, uh, is that, and it's something I've joked about with Jan Techo, who's a good friend, is that you often make us look like moderates or southerners when you talk about fiscal, you know, fiscal responsibility, um, which is quite nice. You know, normally we're the ones that get blamed, and then I can point to and say, look, if you really want to hear tough, go to go to go to the north. Um, and of course, for you and for us, Russian aggression, not just in Syria, not just in Ukraine, but also in uh, in the European project itself has deepened our concerns about our regional security. And for Germany, I would say, has somewhat turned it into a more of a more of a northeastern power than it was for a very long time. I think that genuinely the Swedes, um, in particular, the Swedes together with the Poles, uh, about 10 years ago started taking the Germans around the waist, literally, and marching them around Eastern Europe and say, you have to look at this, you have to pay response, you have to pay attention, this is your responsibility, you have to be part of this. And, and I think it's over this decade, you could so slowly see the Germans starting to pay more attention to this and becoming more engaged. And of course, becoming very upset about not just about Georgia, but then about uh, Russian proxy war, uh, warfare in Ukraine, uh, the treatment of the victims of the MH17 downing, and then extremely upset when it, became, when it came to meddling in the European project with uh, a variety of forms of hybrid warfare. Um, that has, I think, again, moved us closer together with concerns about border security, about cooperation in the region. Um, I mean, a decade ago, I would have been very surprised if somebody had told me the Luftwaffe would be in Estonia and the, Bundes yeah. the, 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 the German army yeah, would be in Lithuania, and we would be talking about naval cooperation, um, which I think is a great thing. And not least because the Navy, I love them, but they always moan. Um, and so I think they will be moaning a little less because this is a great, um, a great strategic cooperation and I think a very, very valuable thing you're doing. Um, at the same time, of course, things are happening in our security landscape that I think uh, put pressure on this cooperation and this understanding and that I think forced both of us, you the Nordics and us the Germans, um, to be a little more comprehensive in our take on European security. And it also forces us, of course, to re-examine some of our oldest relationships, um, which, as you can imagine, what I'm about to talk about. Um, 
I've mentioned the Russians already, but I want to draw your attention to something that you may not have read um, because you're all really busy. Um, I, if there's one thing that I would read this month and urge you to read if you haven't yet, then it's Jane Mayer's piece in the New Yorker of last Monday about the Christopher Steele dossier. And the reason I say that is because there is a wealth of information there that hasn't been out in the public yet. Uh, not least the fact that the Russians apparently um, made over, uh, sort of intervened strongly in Washington to prevent uh, Matt um, Romney, Mitt Romney from becoming Secretary of State. But the other really, and to me electrifying, not just interesting, but electrifying bit of information was that Christopher Steele started thinking about uh, Russian interference in America because he had been thinking about interference in Europe first. A private client had asked him to write a dossier to do research on Russian interference in Europe. He took four countries as, as, as cases, I'm sorry, um, including Germany, and titled his report Operation Charlemagne. And Jane Mayer quotes from that report and says um, it, it, one of its conclusions was that the Russians were out to destroy the EU. Um, it seems to me that that's a report I would want to read if I were a senior security official in Europe, if you haven't yet. I would love to read it myself if any of you have it. Um, now, on China, um, the Chinese, you will have heard about the Chinese company buying 10% of Daimler, another electrifying yeah. piece of information last week. I mean, the Chinese are not as destructive in Europe because they need the single market and they need European cohesion for their infrastructure projects. But otherwise, I think they are firmly bent on, as it were, crispering out those bits of our technological DNA that they think are worth exporting to China and perfectly willing and able to split us politically down the middle. To me, the Chinese challenge is, I think in its dimension, probably the largest challenge that we have in Europe. I mean, I think I personally believe it's not one that we have fully taken on board yet. We know that the EU and, the, and Europe proper are grappling with external threats and risks as well as increasing internal tensions. I don't need to have to, I don't need to explain that to you. The vulnerabilities of our own representative democracy have become very apparent everywhere, not least in our own elections on September 24th, which um, produced an unprecedented situation of, of chaos and instability. Um, it was unthinkable for me before this happened that it, it could take five months or nearly six to form a German government. Unthinkable that the AFD could enter the Bundestag with 92 members, some of whom are, apparent, are, are probably quite reasonable, but many of whom have, have overtly stated their sympathy with Nazi positions. To me, the, as a, as a post-war German, that, that is one of the most shocking events of my lifetime. I think that based on, on the experience of the first Bundestag sessions, we're do not doing so badly. Uh, I think the Bundestag has become a lot more lively and interesting, and a lot of people seem to have been discovering spines and, and uh, talking very forcefully to the AFD, which is good, but we know that you know, we're in this for the long haul, and this could become quite difficult. And of course, as somebody who's now based, been based in Washington for three and a half years, um, the biggest and newest and I think most depressing challenge of them all is the question of how to deal with the United States. Some of you may have seen uh, a paper that I published uh, about a month ago called Normal is Over, in which I dissect the theory that the adults in Washington are, as it were, providing a 
normalization of American foreign and security policy and that the bark of this administration is worse than its bite. I think that is fundamentally wrong. Um, not, it is true that they haven't left the Paris Agreement yet. It's true that they're not at war with North Korea. It's true that they haven't left the Iran Accord yet. But they seem to be bent on enforcing the tariffs. The, what we've read about the conversations between Commissioner Malmström and uh, uh, Secretary Lighthizer is not encouraging. And I find it particularly disturbing that this administration is invoking a national security rationale for its tariffs, because that combines the trade war narrative with the national security narrative. That is incredibly dangerous. And I will also say that even though the worst has not happened yet, the fact that this administration is as reckless as it is in its language, in, its, in the way that it has shredded the norms of behavior both in Washington and between Washington and its allies, in its strategy papers which describe a zero-sum approach to the world, a transactionalist approach even to allies, and it's very harsh critique of the EU, of Germany, and of globalization. None of that is normal. None of that is normalizable. And I think that it forces us to understand that with a, an America that is tempted to opt out of the liberal order that it created, that puts a huge burden on us Europeans. It completely changes the environment. And of course, the recklessness of the language has already massively increased the risk of strategic miscalculations by our adversaries in the world, whether that is in the Middle East, whether it's Russia, whether it's the Chinese. We are living in the most combustible atmosphere internationally that we have seen since 1945. And I think that recognition needs to be the understanding of the basis of how we work together and how we develop strategy together. And to me, that means that the Europeans need to develop greater self-reliance and I very deliberately say self-reliance rather than strategic autonomy, which is the expression that the French use, which I think is a mistake. Um, it is almost designed to, to alienate even those in Washington who are our friends, and there are still many friends, particularly in the Pentagon. I have said so to French senior officials that I don't find this useful. Others have critiqued it. Um, I think that we should all urge them to not think this way because it's a, not going to happen. We don't have those capabilities. And I don't think we have the option of developing those capabilities. And it is neither, and, and nor, should, nor is it in our interest. In fact, I think the biggest challenge of this situation is trying to keep America on our side while standing up for us. And one of the ways of doing that, in my view, is to take on greater responsibility for our own security in the periphery. And that means not just in the Northeast with regards to the threat from Russia, but also with regards to the South. And there, I'm not going to go into too much detail about Germany, but I think you know that we don't have four years. I think we have about 18 months for this government to develop its legacy. I don't see in the current politics, uh, our politics holding together for that long. And I think therefore, you are going to be dealing with a constrained hegemon, one that is acutely conscious of its responsibility, that is acutely conscious of the power and capability differentials between it and its smaller neighbors, but it, that is constrained by its domestic politics and by the fact that we in Germany are living in a hinge time, both for senior political personnel 
for the, the political party system and for policy. And that, I think, I fear, puts more of the burden on our friends and our neighbors to work with us, to help us, but also to come with their own ideas. And I'm going to end with a last word towards Norway and the Nordics. I think it is time for you to invest more into bridge building in Europe. and bridge building in the transatlantic relationship. I see in Washington that you have very carefully tended bilateral relations with America, which you compartmentalize away from your relationship with, with Europe. I think we have to think of these. I think it's great that Norway has a fantastic security relationship with America, as do the other Nordics, each in their own way. But we shouldn't think of these as separate areas of business. We have to think of them comprehensively because that is the only way that we can manage to create the kind of European self-resilience and create the kind of European voice that we're going to have to need if we're to, to, to survive this. Otherwise, otherwise, the risk that I see is that the fragmentation, the internal fragmentation of Europe will continue and that slowly the walls between us will continue to creep up even with the best of intentions. And I will stop there. Thank you. What a tour de force from you, and what a challenging ending. Um, Professor Jopp, your turn. Thank you very much, Mats, for, for this invitation. Uh, dear State Secretary, dear Ambassadors, ladies and gentlemen, it's a great pleasure for me to speak here today. Um, I absolutely share what Constanze has said that, uh, about the United States that a dropout of the US from the liberal world order and partially also from the West puts a heavy burden on all of us, on Germany and all other countries in Europe and most notably those who are members in NATO and, and in the European Union. The question is, will we be able to manage this? And there is a bit a problem in Germany within the last years, even decades, that much is focused on domestic policy, on internal policy, party politics, so that we have to fight all, always at the front in order to stimulate that there is a, a foreign policy debate which, uh, which is important to, to, to have and to carry on. And indeed, there, our neighbors, smaller and medium-sized countries, can help a lot in order to make clear to politicians in, in Berlin that it is important to think about Nordic security, Eastern security, um, I think that, that that would be a very good, uh, very good task and uh, support of, of the shaping of the, of the foreign policy of the new German government. Um, let me come back to our topic, which is Germany and the Nordics in the new security landscape, and uh, let me make my four, four points. The first point is, what is really new? What has changed? Some of it has already been mentioned. This is, of course, the re recurring Russian threat. There's no doubt about this. After the annexation of the Crimea Peninsula and after or still ongoing support of the war in eastern Ukraine and also the Russian activities in, in Syria and elsewhere. We could witness hybrid warfare, uh, cyber warfare and cyber attacks on many of our governments, just, just recently on uh, German government computers as well by 
probably this uh, Russian-oriented APT28 group. Um, we have to uh, face fake news, political propaganda and disinformation in a, in a very systematic way in our social networks. We have to think about how to fight this, how to defend against this. There is, I think, between Sweden and Denmark, there is already close cooperation uh, on, um, on cyber defense. So these are important things which have to be strengthened. Um, and these are influencing our democratic processes and also threatening the stability of our democracies. It goes very much to, into the heart of, uh, de of our democracies and, and the political stability in our countries. We had to face, in recent years, a migration pressure, the border security issue, which has strengthened right-wing parties who exploited this situation. So we have to do something about it. And of course, we have to face the Brexit, which is coming. Uh, very difficult to stop it. And uh, we have to think about what will be um, the future relationship uh, with, with the UK. And we have to try to keep unity of the Europeans, of the European Union. It's really, we are facing uh, disintegrative pressures as well within the European Union. And on the other hand, we have uh, Trump. Um, Maxwell Taylor, a, a, a two or three decades ago, wrote a book about the uncertain Trump pit. There's something about it. It was his criticism about the American foreign policy and deterrence policy. Um, today, we have very much in the center of the American policy in this, uh, in, uh, in, in the White House, um, Trump, and it's completely uncertain in which direction he will go. I think he will try at many fronts um, to, to challenge um, even his best um, partners and, 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 and allies uh, in, in NATO. And that is a, is, is a real problem. It's not Putin on the, on the eastern side, but it's also uh, Trump uh, on the American side. And we have even in recent time militarily some new threats. If you look at the strengthening of the Russian military in the Kaliningrad Oblast, um, the strengthening of the Western Front of the Russians with more troops, more tanks, more uh, uh, missile defense systems and air defense systems. And uh, if we think about um, the Russian fighter aircrafts passing very close to, uh, uh, alongside NATO airspace and even violating Swedish and, and Finnish airspace. So th there are real also hard security military uh, threats and problems. Now, how is the situation towards, if we look at possibilities of cooperation in the security field from a German point of view? Of course, yes, with Nordic countries, we could do a lot on a bilateral level. And I think many things are ongoing here. There's no need uh, to, to mention them in, in detail. Um, but in principle, Germany is always looking for multilateral frameworks. What can we do together in multilateral frameworks? And there we are facing, when looking at the Nordics, a, a basic problem of fragmentation. We have countries who are in NATO, others who are not in NATO. We have countries who are in the EU, others who are not in the EU. We have even countries like Denmark, which is a member of the EU, but has a defense opt-out. Um, so uh, we, have, we have countries like Finland, who is a member of 
one of the core policies of the EU, monetary policy, as a member of the European Economic and Monetary Union, uh, Sweden not. Um, so we have a very fragmented situation where to approach individual and collect individually and collectively Nordic countries and work with them together. Even if they have sometimes their own problems by establishing uh, an area of free movement between them, um, wh whether it's trade or because of the threat of migration within recent years. So um, it's not easy uh, from a German point uh, of view to, to approach them for collective and, and multilateral uh, joint activities and initiatives. What is Germany doing up to now for strengthening the security situation in the north and the northeast? Um, Germany, it has already been mentioned, um, is engaged in, engaged in the framework nations concept, is engaged in the readiness action plan, um, it is in the NATO response force, it has forward stationed uh, systems and troops, uh, even tanks in, in Lithuania, um, so this sort of forward deployment in, in the enhanced forward presence of NATO. This is this collective NATO strategy. Uh, it is very much engaged in EU defense policy, notably permanent structured cooperation, where Germany is leading four to five projects out of 17. So these are areas in which Germany is engaged and where it would make sense to do it also collectively more with uh, a, a joint German-Nordic endeavor. And what is Germany also doing for the security in the north or the northeast? It's not only working on the defense side, but also looking and testing cooperation and dialogue with Russia. So it's always defense and cooperation, this dual track uh, um, approach towards Russia. Russia is there, we cannot deny it, uh, we cannot uh, uh, neglect it or ignore it. Um, so of offers for cooperation and dialogue and testing the possibilities of dialogue with Russia, I think is always uh, a crucial element of the German policy towards Russia. Um, what could the North itself do? What could be done together? I think a federalization of the Nordic Council is not in the cards, not at all. NATO membership of Sweden and Finland, sometimes there is a discussion. Maybe it makes sense to reopen the box, but it's not in the cards now. But we may discuss it. It would make many things easier. Uh, participation in German-led uh, um, uh, framework nation concept, I think that is something to be considered. Strengthening NORDEFCO, the Nordic Defense Cooperation, and, and enhancing it into the direction of a sort of Nordic uh, uh, defense Schengen. I don't know whether this is in the cards. Could be one option. And... Um, Stronger engagement in PESCO in the permanent structured cooperation in the EU from a German point of view would be very, very important. Finland and Sweden are participating only in free 
joint projects of those who have been uh, initiated. So that could be more. And perhaps also some Nordic countries in the EU could think about taking the lead collectively of one of these initiatives, which are now in the pipeline. And they have not completely finalized, but that's a procedure which is in, uh, in the run at present and should be completed by uh, end of springtime this year. Um, one could think about, in the EU defense policy and in PESCO, about third country involvement, which could also be an issue in the future for designing and shaping the relationship in the security and defense field with the UK alongside NATO. Of course, the UK remains in NATO, but alongside NATO in the EU. We should think about that. It is to be debated. One has to think about whether there is really a new meaning now of Article 42.7 of the Collective Defense Agreement, which says there is an obligation of aid and assistance by all means of the member states should one member of the EU be attacked. Is that something only in the treaty, nice words? Or do we want to give some substance to it? And what then about our Nordic friends um, to, um, to invest into this sort of uh, also underpinning Article 42.7? This is something not completely discussed also in Germany, nor between the French and the Germans, because they have very different views on that. Um, but I think it, in the new security environment, it may become a completely new meaning. All sorts of cyber war should be fought and should be uh, uh, managed in, against it, all efforts in the EU framework. And last but not least, from a German point of view, it is very important to work together with the Nordic net, net contributors. Denmark, Sweden and Finland, net contributors to the EU budget. We are now entering the phase of serious negotiations on the multi-annual financial framework. And it is about uh, pinpointing new priorities for this budget in the future. What about border security? What about defense policy? Indeed, what about foreign policy at large? And, and development policy? I mean, once Syria, the war will be over, whether it's five years to go or, or, or longer, uh, Libya, Northern, Northern Africa, and even uh, the Sahel zone and beyond that. We have to think about um, what to do for um, trying to make people staying at home and not coming to Europe and what kind of development and investment packages will we need in the future and what kind of priorities would this require for the EU's budget, for developing defense, foreign policy, strengthening economic and monetary union, and uh, finding also new, perhaps, um, new models for a neighborhood, for neighbors, for new neighbors. The UK, if that present path will continue, will become a neighbor, and it will be a new neighbor. And we have to think about how to and engage with the UK in the future in what type of relationship. And this may be a relationship with, which could be uh, a prototype also for Turkey. 
or for Ukraine, for other countries. We have to think about new models uh, in our neighborhood. And if we can work together on all these issues of strengthening the EU and redesigning its foreign policy and neighborhood policy with Nordic countries, I think that would be uh, a, a, a worthwhile, a great effort making it together. Thank you. Thank you, Matthias, Professor uh, Job, for the perspective, for the challenges to us, and for your concrete suggestions. Um, I have now the pleasure to ask um, a few uh, of the friends of German Nordic cooperation to uh, comment on what they have heard this morning. And uh, first up, if I may, uh, ask if um, Excellency, Excellency Hans-Jürgen Heimsert, the ambassador of Germany to Sweden. Welcome. Well, thank you very much, Mats, uh, Mr. State Secretary. Thank you for really already setting uh, the tone and showing how uh, important this partnership is between uh, the Nordics and Germany. Very too happy to have Constanze Stelzenmüller and Matthias Jopp here. And of course, it's very difficult to say very much more uh, when we have had two so knowledgeable speakers. And I can only uh, put maybe uh, some stress on one or the other point. Uh, Mats uh, already pointed out uh, that we live in a completely new security landscape in Europe. And the Baltic and the Nordic states have already uh, started to uh, transform their own security policy into real defense policy as a consequence. There's something which has not been perceived, I think, at its real value. Um, uh, Constanze Stelzenmüller talked about it. Uh, that is that uh, Germany's policy uh, towards northern security has really undergone a paradigm shift. Things have happened uh, we would not have thought possible, it was said 10 years ago. For example, uh, the EFP deployment in Lithuania. And we also have to see that the awareness in Germany cross party lines as to Russian uh, policy uh, is really very broad. I will maybe not include uh, the AFP and uh, uh, partly not the uh, Linke, but all in all, I would say there is a big consensus in Germany as to Russian uh, policy. Now, this uh, EFP and uh, participation uh, of Germany in Lithuania is also something which you, one shouldn't just see as a one-off uh, campaign supporting. It is really something for the long run, uh, supposing to support, uh, to reassure our uh, allies and friends and to take on uh, responsibility. Uh, we also see that uh, Germany is beefing up uh, its uh, defense budget, maybe not as quick as some would want, but one should not underestimate it. We also have more cooperation on exercises in Eastern 
Europe through the transatlantic capability enhancement and training initiative. We, of course, have this air policing mission, and we are very much supportive of this cooperation of NATO with uh, Finland and Sweden. Just working in the embassy, I see every day how intensive also uh, the military exchanges with Sweden have become something which has not looked like this some years ago. As uh, when it looks, comes to Russia, our policy is uh, quite firm on exerting political and diplomatic pressure. And as you know, uh, Germany played a leading role in uh, designing the sanctions against Russia and in taking forward the Minsk process. Now, uh, looking at the questions which were put for us for this, uh, for, before us for the seminar, they are of importance. How can cooperation between Nordics and Germany be developed? Are the formats in which we meet, three plus one uh, in the EU or uh, the Northern Group, are they enough? Could they be improved? It was pointed out uh, by uh, Professor Jopp that, of course, a very fragmented uh, region uh, does not make things easier. So uh, as a matter of fact, I think we have to take a double track uh, approach in uh, now that we are going to have a new government also check uh, the existing formats. Are they uh, okay as they are? Should the uh, EU three plus one foreign ministers meet more often when it comes to coordinating? Uh, how can EU and NATO create more common European assets and capabilities to reduce divisions in software and hardware, planning and analysis? Of course, now, as we only have a new government tomorrow, I will today not uh, uh, propose new uh, formats, and uh, but of course, I'm going to take up everything with great interest, uh, which is going to be discussed here today. Um, but uh, I think uh, uh, Professor Yap uh, spoke of Nodefco. I personally think that when it comes to real security challenges, it is that we need uh, uh, not new formats uh, and we should really uh, play or uh, work with NATO and with EU and see that we go on in improving what we have. PESCO was mentioned. I've seen in the one and a half years I've been here a great progress. Uh, also in Swedish policy towards PESCO and now taking a positive position, which was not the case in November uh, 2016. And I think, uh, uh, let's say, it should just be the beginning. And uh, we would very much uh, uh, hope that Sweden uh, contributes uh, even more in the future. Na uh, Norway is, of course, the same, uh, at the same time, a core partner at NATO. Let me just end uh, with the transatlantic uh, relations. This partnership, and I think here we all agree, uh, remains crucial. It is, of course, also seems to be challenged, but I see no alternative 
of uh, doing all we can to uh, keep uh, the channels open. And uh, I uh, think this uh, taking this only the bilateral way and was also already pointed out is not good. We have to have a, a also a multilateral approach and of course I as a last word very much support what Constanze Stelzmüller has said. I think this idea that also uh, the Nordic countries have to bring in their good relations with uh, United States uh, to make sure that uh, this transatlantic relationship stays alive also in the framework of our multilateral uh, agreements is really of utmost importance. I'm very much looking forward to the discussion as it goes on. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you. Thank you again, Ambassador. Whether we have that strength in the Nordics, given what the US is putting forward, as Constance also described, is another question, but well received. Thank you very much. Uh, René Nuberg, directly from Helsinki this morning, also someone who needs no introduction to this audience, having spoken here many times one of the grand old men of Finnish diplomacy. René, very much welcome. Thank you very much, Mats. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, listening to State Secretary uh, Audun Halvorsen, I was reminded of one of your famous predecessors, Johan Jorgen Holst. I was a young man uh, when I met, first met Johan Jorgen, and I was the assistant to the then Finnish State Secretary, Keijo Korhonen, and this was in the early 70s, uh, late 70s, uh, early 70s, mid 70s. Uh, yeah, Keo Korhonen established for the first time a private confidential contact with the Norwegian State Secretary. They met once a month for a lunch, either in Oslo or in Helsinki. Keo Korhonen did the same thing with Leif Leifland, the Swedish Secretary of State, uh, Cabinet Secretary. I mean, We've come a long way. There was something which didn't exist. And they spoke and there was nobody else present. So, so this is, and history is very important to understand the way we've come here. Because it's, it's a lot has happened. I very much agree with the State Secretary about the high north and the Baltic region being one. This, is, this was my main criticism uh, to one of the Swedish reports, the one before Krista Bringeus, uh, uh, about uh, trying to describe uh, the so southern Baltic as, a, as its own special sub-strategic area. There are no sub-strategic If you think, if you change the optics and take the Russian view, it's the high north. Because that's where the assets are. And if it's not the assets, it's St. Petersburg. So the whole Baltic area and the high north are one. So. Uh, I, I don't have to add more to, more to that. Nordefco is not a technical thing. Nordefco has brought something very, very important. We've never seen before the Norwegian, Swedish, and Finnish Air Force fly uh, uh, in that enormous space. There's no, there's no comparable large airspace, free airspace in the, in the whole of Europe, comparable to what we have between northern Finland, northern Sweden, 
And the training which is taking place is, has strategic significance. And the, uh, the, the, of course, we know that we're not allies with Norway. We have a, an increasingly deep and interesting military cooperation with Sweden. But the fact that the Air Force train means that the Air Force have options in case it's needed. Uh, history is very important here. I mean, uh, uh, had we assembled decades, decades ago in a Nordic uh, uh, German setting, we would also. Long time ago. <laughs> uh, you've forgotten it. We haven't. There's a bond more for, uh, of Helmut Kohl, which is so good that it must be true. It was at the very, very end of his, of his, uh, of his uh, long uh, chancellorship when he finally did his, visited the only time uh, a, a, Baltic, a Baltic country, and that was Riga. And when he saw Riga, he said, Das ist ja wie Lübeck ohne Parkhäuser. The whole spirit of the 90s in Washington and in Berlin, on Berlin, was. You Nordics take care of the Baltics. The Americans, the Americans, uh, in, a, in the in a way only the Americans can say, well, Sweden and Finland, can't you do? When air patrolling became something, the the, uh, the you was couldn't could Sweden and Finland do that? Well, of course we couldn't. We can't. Uh, uh, the the uh, Berlin's bonds, but even Berlin's even uh, after the shift, Berlin's interest in Baltic Sea cooperation was limited. Very, very limited. It was it was Mecklenburg Vorpommern. Maybe Schleswig-Holstein, Hamburg didn't even really have time for that. But it was definitely not something Berlin. Uh, so, so, and now you see Mrs. Merkel spending two days in Tallinn, then Riga and Vilna, and, and it's already mentioned the Bundeswehr. These are enormous shifts. During the 90s, there was a uh, uh, there was a division of labor between Finland and, and Germany in building up the, uh, the border control of the, of, of the, of the, uh, of the, uh, of the countries which had left the Soviet, Soviet orbit. The Finns, we, our responsibility was Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, and the Germans to Poland, uh, uh, then Czechoslovakia, later Czechoslovakia, and Hungary. Uh, as, a, as a task. And, and, and this was, this was, this was, now of course, uh, Germany doesn't have, a, have a, 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 an outer, outer border anymore, ex except the uh, airport of Frankfurt. So, so I mean, uh, border control is again something very important, but that's a, that brings us, uh, uh, brings us too far, it's not, it's not the Nordic-German thing. The, the, there's a, of course, of course, we have a different. We have we have our different uh, solutions, and, and these solutions have been changing. Nobody could ever have thought that the that the Finnish-Swedish military cooperation would uh, would uh, would be as intensive and would uh, would develop as fast, and the results would be as, as as good as they are in that very short time. But we're all all have our relations with Washington, and it, the fact is that uh, the fact that Finland in 1992. Uh, decided to buy American fighter aircraft, F-18 Hornets, 
uh, was, was one of the uh, decisive, decisive decisions. It's turned out to be an excellent buy, it's got, but it had a, a very important uh, 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 military, military significance and security policy significance. We're all, of course, uneasy about Brexit, because we find our, we're losing our most, our most, our strongest, strongest ally uh, uh, after Germany in things, uh, uh, things uh, of, of, of free trade and our, our view of how, how the world should be organized. And uh, I'll, I'll definitely look for Mr. Steele's Kalman report when I come home, if I can find it. Uh, it, it is, it is, the, the, it is important to, to, to have, uh, understand the, the, the historical shift which has taken place. And, 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 and I think you're, we're right. I mean, the whole much the idea of this conference underlines the fact that how much closer we have, feel, are, and must be uh, in, 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 with, with Germany. And uh, this requires also from Germany a change of view, which I think is on its way. Thank you. Well, the latter is certainly some hope to hold on to. Krista Bringeus, ambassador for Nordic issues, long-term security policy expert within the ministry. You were even challenged, so please. Yes, I will start with that. Uh, I need to start by taking issue with my dear friend René's assumption that we uh, kind of hinted in the uh, inquiry that the high north and the Baltic Sea, it was not my report. <laughs> okay, so then I don't need to take issue with you. Okay, let me come back then to, to the point in our uh, inquiry, namely that the Baltic Sea region and the high north uh, the Baltic Sea region and the adjacent areas, including the High North, is one strategic territory yeah, or area. Fine, then we agree on that. Because that, that was a very important point for us in, in the inquiry, since there was a sentiment we felt in the Swedish public opinion hinting at that Sweden possibly was an island that would not be affected by events outside our borders. But let's leave that. Compliments to the organizers for this very timely seminar, the Nordics and, and, and Germany in turbulent times. And a couple of comments I've been asked to deliver. Uh, first of all, in short, the alliance between the Nordic countries and Germany is the obvious one in terms of geography, interests, and values. Although one should also say, in all honesty, there is a, it's a long way between Flensburg and München. Uh, there still are some anti-Catholic instincts, if you want, in the Swedish mind. <laughs> uh, but basically, if you want to sum up in one phrase, the Swedes, we are English-speaking Germans. Th this, might, this might not be obvious in terms of uh, consumption goods or fashion trends or movies or literature, where we clearly are Americans. But the, 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 the test case is trade. I mean, go out one morning uh, at the Orlando airport, and you will see to where the planes depart. Apart from Thailand, it's Düsseldorf, Frankfurt, and München. Now, second point. The Nordics are not monolithic. 
That's one of the great myths that we cultivate ourselves, that the five Nordics have common interests and common values and that we are unique, etc. It's not so. Nordic cooperation, I would argue, having dealt with it for a year or so, does not differ very much from any other international region, regional cooperation. The five great Nordic projects in the post-World War uh, period all collapsed. The Defense Union in the 40s, the Customs Union in the 50s, the Economic Union in the 60s and 70s, and the Joint Satellite Project in the 80s. Why? Because we have different interests. Now, we have one common interest, though, and that is stability and pro prosperity in the Baltic Sea region, which directly affects Finland, Sweden, and Denmark, clearly also Norway, and to a large extent, Iceland. Key countries here are Germany as part of the solution and Russia as the troublemaker. A country defined by basic lack of civil structures, civil societies, a deficit that I think personally is maybe more important than, than the lack of traditional liberal democratic values. Plus uh, the Russian eternal border insecurity characteristic of a uh, landlocked, immature great power. Uh, this as a starting point, bearing in mind that we will have to deal with Russia for a long, long time. We need to have what I call a Chow and Lai attitude towards Russia. We all know the anecdote when Chow and Lai was asked what impact uh, did the Russian, uh, did the French Revolution have on China, and he said it was too early to tell. A joint regional Nordic-German, or for that matter, Nordic-German-Polish policy, in my ma mind, stands on two legs. First, a reasonable military platform that is plugged into the Atlantic structures, but is regional in terms of joint planning, joint military planning. I don't foresee Swedish or Finnish NATO membership in the near future for different reasons, one being a lack of interest in the public opinion. Uh, and I also would argue that for Finland and Sweden, military planning is more important than the security guarantees. Uh, so my point is that the defense cooperation that is now established must not only be a web of bilateral, different bilateral uh, uh, relationships, but also one sort of regional uh, web. Secondly, while sticking to and actively assisting in formulating a joint EU approach to Russia, we need to, together with Russia, identify common societal challenges that need to be addressed. They might be nuclear safety, extremism, common societal challenges in the Baltic Sea region. Uh, they might be uh, nuclear safety, extremism, safe cities, uh, epidemics. Maybe we need to have a go on common uh, future Arctic cooperation. And there are multilateral structures that might be, uh, uh, that could be used or might be underused. I'm thinking of the Council of Baltic Sea States. Of course, bearing in mind that Russia, Yagang 2018, might not be terribly interested. Bearing in mind that Putin sees America or China 
as the real thing. But nevertheless, the Baltic Sea region, we know it, is important for Russia. Thirdly, uh, we should jointly increase our people-to-people -people contacts with Russia, realizing that this is a vulnerable area, easy to attack for Moscow. But we have, we have a moral imperative, I would argue, not leave those youngsters, those NGOs, and I have met them in my present capacity in St. Petersburg, and their appeals unanswered. A changing Russia must, the change of Russia must come from inside, and that's one, another, one other reason for, for, for supporting uh, them, uh, for sticking to people-to-people -people contacts and support the NGOs. The Helsinki process that galvanized the dissident movement in, uh, uh, during the Cold War is a tempting analog. So this is, in my mind, a joint challenge for Germany and the Nordic countries. The Germans, meanwhile, may be also teaching us Swedes not to take every opportunity we can to verbally attack and antagonize Russia. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Krista. Um, well, what a wealth of perspectives we've had during uh, this hour and a bit. It remains for us 15 minutes in this hall. Some of us will later on continue in closed sessions. We have a wonderful set of speakers for those uh, sessions, but they are here in the hall too, and you are invited to contribute now. I thought I would do the following. Uh, let's have a number of points and made and perhaps questions from the audience, and then towards the end, I'll give Constanze and Matthias a chance to respond or reflect on what they have heard also from our three very interesting commentators. So mics are around here, Mr. And would you please, for the benefit of some of our foreign guests, in, in, introduce yourself, although you don't need them, I think. <laughs> Thank you, Orian Berner. I used to be ambassador in Germany and Russia and the Soviet Union as well, for that matter. Uh, I had two questions to Ms. Jopp. Um, I was a little bit struck by many things, many, many of your points, but, but two in particular. You mentioned in regard to the necessity of cooperation in the defense field with the United Kingdom, also after Brexit, which everyone is obviously aware of is necessary, that this could be in some way parallel to a similar cooperation with Turkey and Ukraine. And my question is, how do you envisage such cooperation with Ukraine? Uh, that was the first question. The second question is, we also underlined the necessity of cooperation with the Nordics in regard to the future budget uh, discussions in, in the EU. As you might be aware, we have a fairly strict attitude in regard to budget outlays, and particularly in relation to what we are going to be able to pay after Brexit. Uh, are you, or would you think that Germany would be willing to cut, which is necessary, of course, if you want further outlays on other issues, to cut uh, agricultural and structural funds?
Hello, my name is Jürgen Detrefs and I'm German journalist here in the Nordic countries. Uh, you mentioned the fragmentation of the Nordic countries as a disadvantage for Germany to cooperate with them. But could one say on the other side that the fragmentation is an advantage because that means as long as the Nordic countries are as fragmentized as they are, the challenge for whom it might be is less. And the other thing, I do think it was interesting what you, Professor Jobs, said, that Germany also has an, a tradition and a history of understanding Russia. Uh, don't you think that the Nordic countries where, the, where one is very hysterical about everything the new Russian government says, for example, Foreign Minister Lavrov, and he tells Sweden, if you join NATO, it, we must react on it, and the Swedish uh, commentators are totally hysterical on that totally natural uh, saying. What is your opinion on that? I see more hands. Otherwise, I pay it back then to Matthias. This one? Okay, there we go. Maybe. Thank you. Thank you for an interesting session. My name is Anders Buhner, retired ambassador. Uh, I want to take further a point that Christa Bringeus did, and I think very rightly said that the Nordic countries are not monolithic. They are very different and very naturally because of their different interests. But I would ask you, would you think that it's also not monolithic when it comes to the political situation, or political situation in the political parties and so on. Does that affect what you think is the German, which of course is also developing politically, but uh, in particular it's, it's not monolithic in the Nordic countries. And at least many would say so in, in Sweden. Thank you. Anders Melborn. Uh, this may be anecdotal, but uh, we will have a new German government tomorrow, we were promised by the ambassador. Uh, as far as I understand, the, for the first time, the foreign minister will not be the vice chancellor. Is this of any relevance at a time when we say that foreign policy is getting more and more important for Germany? When the, historically in the Federal Republic, I mean, the foreign ministry, at least uh, in, in the perspective of, of outsiders, for about trade and so I mean, or is this just a coincidence of, of no relevance? Well, then let me turn back to you. And uh, Matthias, if you would go first. I shall try. <laughs> a lot of questions, not easy to answer. Um, if the foreign minister is not the vice-chancellor, I think it, first of all, does not say much about German foreign policy, but about where 
in European affairs, um, the heavyweights have to be placed in the government. And the heavyweight in the recent government was always in the finance ministry. This was in the whole crisis and the steering of the crisis in, in monetary union. And it will be now in the cards with the, with the prospect for, for the next multi-annual financial framework. Um, and that is the experience with which the Germans made within the last decade that the finance minister in European affairs is more important than the foreign minister. Um, there's, in principle, always some uh, tension between the chancellery and the foreign ministry in foreign affairs. That's always the case. And the more so the European Council plays a stronger role, it moves more to the chancellery than the foreign ministry. But in principle, we have two ministries who are responsible for European policies, and that is the economic ministry and the foreign ministry. And uh, to what extent the new foreign minister will become a strong foreign minister, I think we should give him a chance. And I see there are many possibilities um, to, to gain in profile in foreign affairs also for the new foreign minister. Um, perhaps to understand this, also the logic of German in general foreign policy at large, it is always based on the European Union. From a German point of view, we need a well-working, running European Union in order to trade internationally, in order to, 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 to bolster our foreign policy positions vis-a-vis -vis outside powers, emerging powers, whomsoever. Um, so this, is, this lies at the core of German, uh, let's say, foreign policy, because European policy also has become more and more domestic policy because it has moved into the party landscape, into the internal debates. Um, so it's sometimes very difficult to make a clear-cut distinction between domestic policy and European policies. But Europe lies at the heart of uh, German uh, foreign policy. And therefore, if in European affairs the finance minister has become so important in recent years, it's quite natural there to have also the vice, um, and the vice chancellor. Anders Björner, I, I must be, be frank, I didn't fully understand your question about the political parties, but we may come back to this soon. Um, Russia, this was uh, your question over there, yeah. Um, I think the German stance on Russia is clear and firm. Defense, if necessary, deterrence and sanctions. This is the one track, and be clear and firm on this. And the other is trying to cooperate, but linking it to conditions. If the conditions are met, cooperation flows. If not, it, it will be difficult. And the German attitude, and notably in the chancellery, about two or three years ago, when the whole discussion about the sanctions towards Russia was were ongoing in, 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 the, in the Council and in the European Council, from within a couple of months, the situation completely changed in the Chancellery. And the Chancellor in public said, I'm fed up with this guy. He's telling me lies all day long whenever I'm calling him. And so there was a certain change, a very clear change and a frustration. And this was not only in the Chancellery, it was also in the Foreign Ministry there. 
you know, it was about two, two years or three years when the whole uh, thing about the sanction policy started. And when the third stage of sanctions was pushed through by the Germans in the forefront. Um, and uh, I think here the, the position is, 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 ve is very clear. And also the message sent to our partners in the north and in, 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 the, Baltic, uh, uh, in the Baltic region and in the Baltic states. Um, whether fragmentation is an asset, an asset for what? For, for, for divide and reign or, or for collective strength? Um, I leave it up to you. I think that uh, you, some, some sort of unity would, would, would be much stronger than this sort of... Uh, of fragmentation. And, um, well, I said if Sweden or Finland would really join NATO and would be seriously on that point, many things could become easier as far as security and hard security and defense is concerned. Um, but I also, I see all the points, traditional history, the experiences uh, after the Cold War, within the Cold War, um, that has to be taken into account and the political landscape in, in your countries and how the situation is, is seen between the different uh, factions. Um, yeah, future budget of the EU, I can, I can tell you the German government would be prepared to have reallocations in the budget and would even be prepared to pay more. Not fully compensate for the, for the loss of the British, which is about 11 billion euros per year, but there is a readiness to pay more and to reorient within the budget. Um, whether this will lead to cuts in the agricultural field or in structural funds, probably not in, uh, in structural funds. Agriculture is a bit more, uh, uh, it's different, it's delicate, but I wouldn't say that this is a sanctuarium which cannot be touched. Um, but. Yeah, and the French, and the French, for the first time in history of the EU, the French have offered, had offered, yeah, uh, to to accommodate cuts in the in the agricultural field. So I think I wouldn't rule this out. This is really an option. And on the necessity of future cooperation with the UK and Ukraine, of course, they are both countries in two completely different boxes. UK is still a member and is on its way of leaving the Union. Ukraine is not even an accession candidate, but a neighborhood country. What I was meaning was, apart from defense cooperation, this is a diff different story. This, I would say, first of all, let's think about defense cooperation and PESCO cooperation beyond membership with the British. But let's think as even in total, much more in, in, in a grand design, what kind of relationship do we want to have with the British? Are we going to, to establish some sort of associate membership or a, a sort of confederal uh, relationship with the British with some common decision making in some areas? And is that then uh, a pattern which can be used for, for structuring relations with other countries? Difficult? but important countries. I would say Turkey is a very difficult uh, uh, partner, 
Um, but we have to find somehow to sort out what, what kind of future relationship it could be if membership, true membership, is obviously not in the cards. Neither there is a majority in Turkey nor within the European Union. But, but if you ask the Turks, are you going to be interested in a model we have with the UK also to apply this in your case? I think they would be interested in it. But if you try to sell them privileged partnership or things like that, which have been used in the past, there's, this is not, not any alternative. But if it is something what the British have in the end, that might be something of interest also for Turkey and which would help us to keep Turkey in the Western camp, close to Europe, not to lose this country. It's too big, too important in, 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 the, in the Near East. And without having always this incredible, uh, uh, not very credible track of membership, which we may not achieve in, 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 the, in, in the foreseeable future. Not Thank in this decade, not. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. Okay, Father. very good. Constantia. Um, a lot has already been addressed, so I'm going to be brief and somewhat stark. Um, I, as some of you know, I'm a bit more hawkish on Russia. Um, not least because I, um, this is a debate that I've tried to stay very close to. And I had to do a bit of research um, a couple of months ago when I was somewhat to my surprise uh, asked to testify in a, in a uh, hearing that the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence did on uh, Russian interference in Europe and they asked me to, uh, to talk about Russia, Russian interference in Germany, uh, a topic that I had previously avoided somewhat. Um, I have to say everything that I learned in the course of that has uh, caused me to conclude that dialogue right now is not sought by the Russians. And if we keep reaching out the dialogue with people who are trying to undermine us every day in a very creative variety of forms, then we will only earn their contempt. And I would quite like that not to happen. Now, I think, like you, that we need absolutely to stay, maintain contacts and to strengthen contacts with Russian civil society, particularly young Russians. This is the time, in my view, to invest in stipends to bring young Russians and Ukrainians and Georgians and others to Europe and to teach them how democracies work. I would send them to law school, to management school, to public policy schools. That, I think, is where we could use some of those agricultural funds that we don't need. And I think that would be a huge investment and a very strategic investment in our relationship with Russia. But all you have to do, as, and you know, the internet is very helpful here, is look at the, the press conferences following the, the, the state murders, and that is what they are in England. Yeah? What uh, the spokesman, just listen to the spokesman of the Russian foreign ministry. You might also want to listen to the interview that Vladimir Putin himself did with Meghan Keller. And if you then still want to have a dialogue, be my guest. But I would have a hard, hard, hard time understanding why you would want that. I've also just spent time in Brussels, and I've uh, spent a day at NATO talking to people. I've also just been to Warsaw, 
um, people who at NATO uh, with the best of intentions and and I think honorable sort of an honorable framing of the of this have been trying to dialogue with the Russians say it is incredibly difficult. The Russia the Russia NATO Council is not going well and it's not our fault. That's all I want to say on the subject. That said, maybe one last sentence. It's true that unlike our American friends, we can't afford the luxury of selective attention. We share a continent with them and the fragmentation of Russia, the sort of downward course of Russian politics is a security and a public order concern for all of us that isn't going to go away. And it is one that is a continuous source of uncertainty and outward rippling effects of what, what I would call the dark underside of globalization, the smuggling of arms and drugs and people and organized crime and cybercrime. Even without Russian state intent to undermine the EU, these things are already there and they are public order concerns. In, here in Sweden, in Norway, I'm sure, and also in Germany. These are things we need to deal with. Now, as for fragmentation, I really don't see, <laughs> I honestly think that fragmentation harms the Nordic. I think that is that, and, and here, here is why. I think that right now, the train is going the other way. If we look, again, if we, if we listen to the grass growing in Europe, we can see walls going up between friends. The German-Polish relationship is completely different today than what it was five years ago. It's a tragedy. And it is incredibly difficult to be in Warsaw these days, these days and talk to people. And there is the same language of offender, of grievance and offended masculinity uh, that you can hear you know, from the trade nationalists in Washington or, or from Vladimir Putin. You can get that in Warsaw as well from the ethno-nationalists. It's a tragedy. But we are not looking at a healthy German-Polish relationship. And I say this with immense regret. I wish it that, would, that it were otherwise, and I, I, and I think that we have to repair this. But things being as they are, as they are the, the risk, I would say to you, our Nordic friends, is that we might find ourselves, without wanting it, and with the best intentions of the world, in path dependency of fragmentation and isolation, where we will all end up on these little islands in Europe, despite not wanting it, just like these little desks not, here. Not yes. Yes, well, that too. <laughs> okay, we won't, we won't belabor this, but you get my point. In other words, I think this is a time when we have to invent more energy and more creativity, not just in trying to take things forward, in leaning forwards towards each other, but just in keeping things as they are, because otherwise we will roll back. That's the problem here. And there I see a really significant role for you. And you, I mean, I thought your list of Specific things to do in cooperation together was really great. The one thing missing, in my view, was a political engagement from the Nordics in Europe-wide issues, in the question of what to do with the EU budget, of what to do with CSDP, of what to do with, low, uh, un with high unemployment in the South, and the risk, the political risk, coming to Italy and Greece and other places from migration pressure. Frankly, the Nordics sometimes feel as though you thought this was none of your business because it's really far away, let somebody else deal with it. Actually, it is. I say to you, if Italy goes south, if Greece goes south again, 
you will find that this has a significant impact on your interests. And I think this is the time for you to engage more and to think of your security not just as focused on regional and then rippling outward from there, although I completely sympathize with that, but to take a stronger stance in, in Europe generally and in the transatlantic relationship and to think of these two things as organically interlocking rather than as sort of compartmentalized because then you only end up deepening the, the path dependency. And you can help the Germans with your peculiar yet attractive combination of pacifism and warlikeness. Um, <laughs> in, in other words, you can help us get over the, the, the pacifism and become and teach us that it is possible to be very forward-leaning, to be very pro-UN, very pro-international law, and still have a decent military. Please come and teach us that. We would be very grateful. I would. Thank you. Thank you very much, Constanze. Well, what has been uh, stable uh, and coherent has been our dialogue, and it will continue pragmatically. And be pragmatic, you say, but I also listened to State Secretary Halvorsen, where he says that the increased Nordic-German cooperation built on a securing a safe, democratic, and economically strong Europe, preserving and strengthening the transatlantic bond, and taking concrete action to maintain and strengthen multilateral institutions and a world order based on international law. There you have the framework. Let's be pragmatic. Let's continue the dialogue. Thank you very much to you, State Secretary, for visiting us. Thank you, special guests and everyone who is here. We will continue this dialogue in this hall and in others as we move along. Thank you very much for being with us this afternoon. Find us on www.ui.sc. We are also on Facebook and on Twitter with UI Sweden. And we're also on YouTube where you can watch our seminars and interviews. <laughs>